Uh, welcome. My name is Danish Pahati. Uh, I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Neurological Sciences at University of Nebraska Medical Center. And I have the pleasure of having Professor John Bertoni, MD, PhD, the director for Parkinson's disease program, with us today to discuss an important topic about nutrition and Parkinson's disease. John, do you want to say anything? Well, yes, we are co-directors of the Parkinson's disease clinic now. So it's a pleasure working with you. And as you know, we're into some important research about nutrition in Parkinson's disease. That's right. So I have trained with you as a movement disorder fellow and now I've been working with you uh, for the last five years. I, and I know that you've always paid attention to nutritional status and vitamins of your patients with Parkinson's disease. And I have seen your patients do very well with their Parkinson's disease for 20 years, 30 years, and they're still walking to your clinic and coming regularly. And I've always tried to figure out what are those things that I can replicate and have my patients have similar outcome. So, uh, I, I am now working with you and we're working together on this um, nutritional study of Parkinson's disease. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about what is this study? This study looks specifically at the vitamin levels at patients, in our patients with Parkinson's disease. We are working with uh, folks at Harvard. There's a friend of mine, Walt Willett, that works in the School of Public Health that's developed a Harvard Food Preference Questionnaire. And as you know, people with Parkinson's disease have loss of olfaction, sometimes very early, and they tend to choose the wrong foods. We're trying to specifically find uh, what is it about their diets that's different, what are their needs that are different from ordinary people, and how we can solve those problems. So since when have you known Ward Willett? Actually, we go back to <coughs> medical school days. He was a year my senior at University of Michigan Medical Center, and I've kept up with him and found out what he's been doing from time to time. And he's developed a fantastic worldwide, translated into many different languages, food preference questionnaire. There are people that suffer from wet beriberi and other conditions that are basically because of their diet. How did you find this food questionnaire to work with in, in Parkinson's patients? Actually, I contacted Walt and we talked about it and he suggested that we use the questionnaire. So you knew Walt was doing some work in uh, nutrition? That's correct. And I can't remember exactly what the first step was, but what happened was we had phone conferences and now we have decided, and now we're embarking on a study that's IRB approved here at UNMC. So the study is looking at the dietary habits of Parkinson's patients as they present to our clinic. Yes. And we're measuring the vitamin levels, the nutritional vitamins that are commonly low. Yes. Uh, namely vitamin B1 or thiamine, B6 or pyridoxine, B12 or cyanocobalamin, and vitamin D. That's correct. And um, what, what do you want to find out about this diet and correlation with Parkinson's? Well, first of all, we want to find out on a group of patients that present in our comprehensive clinic. These are usually new to us, but sometimes these are patients that we've also 
found out may have a nutritional problem. So everyone has to sign a consent form and is uh, given a questionnaire that takes uh, so several minutes. So do you minutes. think that vitamin deficiencies may have something to do with the kind of food they take? Yes. Yes, because for example, we go for the foods that we enjoy because of the aromas. Uh -huh. More than, I think, the sweetness, sour, bitter, uh, and the Japanese also salty and Umami. pungent. Yes, right. So we're looking to see why patients eat differently with Parkinson's, mm. why they have a vitamin deficiency. So we found low vitamin B1, which is really hard to be low in vitamin B1. Because um, it's so prevalent. In it's in everything. It's yeah. in it's in healthy foods. Yeah. But I just saw a woman in the emergency department uh, a couple nights ago and asked her what she was eating. She has Parkinson's disease. Uh -huh. She says for breakfast I'll have half of a diet Coke and one slice of white bread. <laughs> and then she went on and the diet was like that. I mean she had a cheese sandwich in there somewhere. But basically... Just no greens, no vegetables, no, no fruits. No, none. So no vitamins. No, none. So, so you think that the vitamin deficiencies is common in Parkinson's. It is likely linked to the dietary habit of Parkinson's patient, which is probably due to changes of Parkinson's disease in the brain? It has many causes. Uh, the, the causes include that they lose their appetite with the medications we give them, they lose their appetite because they have constipation and their food travels slowly through their uh, GI tract. Mm. They have less of an appetite. They don't burn as many calories and they don't need as much, according to them. But as long as we give them the right vitamins and find out what they're deficient in, one of the major reasons is how do we predict? I mean, there are over 200,000 people in the United States that are thiamine deficient. Wow. Now, as a fraction of the total, that's not a very big part. But we want to know, what is it? Is it that they have weight loss? Is that the key? That we should ask the people who have lost more than five pounds and do these studies? That may be one of the outcomes we find. Another one might be that we should screen everybody at the beginning. People that have neuropathies, you know, many of these vitamin deficiencies cause neuropathies. Like a nerve damage. Right, like a yeah. B12 deficiency, which is really a, not too rare in the elderly. Uh, they lose their ability to absorb B12. So with all of these things as So part, you think that vitamins are deficient for possibly various factors, including the slowness of the bowel movements, the delayed gastric emptying. Yes. Uh, the medications making them nauseous yes. with poor appetite, loss of sense of smell with not having much aromas to go right. by and, right. and you know, feel appealing. And then Dr. Ron Pfeiffer's work showing small bacterial, uh, bacterial level growth in small bowels. Yes, yes. Uh, and I, if I think of one more thing is that some of these medications can actually reduce vitamin absorption such as carbidopa can block vitamin B6 absorption. That's correct. And now with the cinnamon infusion pumps, the carbidopa infusion gel, right. we're finding a lot more B6 and B12 deficiency. Um, that's very interesting. So you think that vitamin deficiency is being caused by all these factors related to Parkinson's, but is it in turn affecting their Parkinson's disease in any way? 
you know, it really does affect, because when you look, it does affect their illness, because when you see what the risk factors are, if they get osteoporosis from lack of vitamin D and lack of calcium in their diet, they don't eat much dairy products, and some of them can't really digest dairy products very well at that age. Uh, if they don't take in enough protein, they're going to have weaker muscles, and they're going to tend to get a neuropathy, and they're going to tend to fall more easily. And when they fall, they're more likely to have a fracture. Mm. So these things will then put people in the hospital, and in the hospital, they're given so many medications. There's medications to wake them up in the morning and medications to put them to sleep at night and medications to calm them down, which may make the problems worse. Do you think, you know, one other thing that comes obviously to mind that some vitamin deficiencies can cause problems with balance, yes. poor balance and posture instability and increased risk of fall, exactly. combined with the weak bones or osteoporosis that you mentioned. But do you think Parkinson's disease progresses differently in people who have a good diet or bad diet due to nutrition or other factors of vitamins? You know, I have hunches, but that's why we do studies. Right. I do think that the choice of the foods that you eat every day make a big difference in how tough, how strong, how capable you're going to be, mentally and physically. Mm -hmm. And if you eat right, and if people find you get a vitamin deficiency and get it replaced, you're much better off. You, if you have, you only have two hips, and if you break one of them, you're bedridden, and some people don't get out of nursing homes. They end up ending their life there. So this is an important thing. Yes, I do think that we can intervene. The real question is, who are the people most likely to suffer from vitamin deficiencies? How do we recognize them? And how do we make sure that their quality of life is optimal? It's interesting. We have discussed about some of the literature that came out in the last couple of years, and we've shared articles with each other. We have seen reports that uh, in a large community, if you look at vitamin D level on Parkinson's patients, the ones with low vitamin D level right. seems to have a faster progressed vitamin Parkinson's or a worse off Parkinson's disease. Uh, we have also seen similar reports about vitamin B12, mm -hmm. and I uh, sent you a paper where in a mice model, they gave very high doses of vitamin B12, right. one form, active form of B12, which has four active forms, and it showed that they were more resistant to developing Parkinson's disease, like damage in their brain from right. the chemicals we use to create Parkinson's models in mice. So that was very interesting, and then we have seen similar reports for thiamine. Um, so it, it sounds like it, it may there may be some support now for your hunch about vitamin deficiencies being important for Parkinson's disease. So if you want to say anything more about that, and do you think there are more things beyond vitamin deficiencies about diet in Parkinson's? Well, we have vitamins alphabetically and many B vitamins. Yeah. But if we think we have found all the vitamins, all the essential nutrients, mm -hmm. we're fooling ourselves because there are more and more. Iron, for example, is often low in people with a very, very poor diet. And if they have GI distress, then that's another reason for them to become weak. So 
I don't think we're done discovering nutrients. We need to find out what are the causes of the low nutrients, and we need to fix it. Um, and yes, there are GI, we're outnumbered, 100 to 1. What we have inside our GI tract. You mean the bacteria, the, the germs? Bacteria, in if you organ. count every one of those bacteria, and every cell in our body, all our muscles, all our brain cells, nerve cells, everything, uh, we're outnumbered 100 to 1. So we don't want to be a democracy. So we have to make sure, and some of these organisms actually take out the important ingredients in cinnamon or carbidopa levodopa. Right. They minimize the effectiveness of the medications we give. Some of them also make it difficult for B12 to be absorbed. So there's many, many different interplays between what we eat right. and what it does. That's true, you know, it's, all, it's about constipation and bowel movement, and we know right. if there is slow gastric emptying that can affect the absorption of medicines that the sure. patients take and make the response to medication less predictable, more erratic. Right. Um, so gut seems to be a very important a center right. in management of Parkinson's disease and might even be in progression of Parkinson's disease. What do you think about these ideas that it may also have a center role in onset of Parkinson's disease or, or beginning? Well, like you said, Ron Pfeiffer, who is one of the big leaders in the Parkinson's study group, and one of his things is to look at the GI tract and what is going on with that as a cause of Parkinson's because sometimes bacteria can get in or other particles can get into our bloodstream and into our bodies, into our brains. And there is a hypothesis, as you know, that there's a nerve that controls the GI tract called the vagus nerve. It means wandering nerve because mm. it's so long. And when that becomes affected, it affects the brainstem uh, just above the spinal cord before the brain that we think with and then it progressively moves up to the pons and to the midbrain and in the midbrain it causes Parkinson's disease that's where Parkinson's disease can start and then the olfaction is lost in the early process and then if it progresses into the entire brain then we have a dementia the Lewy body dementia, which is a form of Parkinson's disease. But, you know, some examples I can tell you about are remarkable. You would think that physicians, of all people, would not get into vitamin deficiencies. And as we talked about before, we have three or four cases of physicians and nurse practitioners that have Parkinson's disease that have come into our comprehensive clinic and we're amazed how low their vitamin B1s are. So tell me about a specific case. Let's focus on a patient, how it can affect their life. So well, tell me about a case where you are really um, impressed by the importance of nutrition and vitamin deficiencies in Parkinson's. My neighbor, years ago, behind in our backyard, was a retired physician and I noticed he had a very mild form of what we had to call Parkinsonism. Mm -hmm. We didn't see much in the way of tremor, but there was a slowness, but a lot of older people get slower. 
So I was just watching him in the clinic and not making a firm diagnosis, and he was interested, but I think he knew he was getting Parkinson's. He mm. was a smart enough guy. So eventually, he would come to our symposia, mm -hmm. where we had hundreds, uh, and lately about a thousand people, coming to learn the latest uh, about how you get Parkinson's disease and what you do about it. Uh -huh. And then it became clear this really was Parkinson's disease. In that patient? In that patient. Okay. So he started to have a tremor, he was bradykinetic, he had all the features, and we started to record things. I checked his vitamin levels, and he needed vitamin B12. Okay. So I finally convinced him, you know, physicians can be difficult patients. <laughs> That's admitted. So, because we think we know too, or we do know too much, and sometimes that gets in the way. So anyway, uh, I, I said you have to take B12 shots. Then the time came when he missed an appointment. Okay, so he was coming regularly. Coming regularly. This is your old neighbor physician. That's right. So the last visit, I checked his cognition, and he was slipping. And I said, we need to do some testing to see what things you're good at, what things, we call them neuropsych tests. Right. He refused. So next thing I knew, I went to see my eye doctor, and he asked me, do you know Dr. So-and-so? We're not going to... This is after a gap of certain time yes, since you've last seen him? right, because he didn't come. He didn't. So finally he said, do you know him? And I said, yes, yes. Your opto yes. ophthalmologist. Yes, my ophthalmologist said, was also his. Was his ophthalmologist? Yes. Okay. So that, a common doctor. A common doctor. And he said, do you know Dr. So-and-so? I said, yes, yes. Uh, he, was a, he was my neighbor and a really good guy, uh, and uh, why do you ask? And he said, he's not doing very well. So I finally got him on the phone, and I said, you must come in. Your older neighbor. Yes, order. yes, so I had to lean on him a little bit. Okay. So, and his wife uh, tried to get him to come in, and he sometimes would, sometimes wouldn't. But the situation is, we're gonna take a break, so this was after a gap of how much time? It might have been a year, a uh, year and a half perhaps. Okay. Okay, so what I did was I had him come in and I said, we're going to test your vitamins. Okay. And his vitamin B12 was really low. How was he when he came back after that year and a half of a gap? His mini mental status had deteriorated even further. So he was worse cognitively. Worse cognitively. physically? Physically he was quite a bit worse. And we do a score, we put him through the tests, and you know... They was he taking any medications by then? That he was he prescribing anything? not taking them regularly. So, okay. he was a typical, maybe, he, I think he just was forgetful more, and who knows? But maybe he doubted that he really needed it. Or maybe he felt like he was... Not or maybe he was enough. forgetting to take them, I think, because he was having cognitive right, challenges. It, so... I found that he was not, if you have to have 180 or 200 as a level, bottom, or, line, minimum. bottom line, minimum, and even at 250 we tell people to take, take more, more B12. Right. His, his number was 72. Wow. And I, I called him up and I said, you're taking shots, right? He says, oh no, I quit taking those. He was on B12 shots because you earlier found him on a mild yes, deficiency and, right. and recommended B12 injections. 
because he wasn't getting enough or wasn't taking the vitamin And at B12. 72, that in itself can cause dementia. It's such and a low can, B12 level. Yes, it, it can. And so it sort of it feeds on itself. If you're not remembering to take it, then you're going to get more and more dementia. So this is what happens to people. In the thiamine level, it's very hard to get low in thiamine. There are some conditions where some situations like congestive heart failure, some of those patients really do have a vitamin deficiency and it may be thiamine. So anyway, his vitamin B1 was extremely low, so was the B6, and his vitamin D3 was low. So almost every vitamin was Everything low we checked. checked, yes. Was he losing weight? Was he eating? He was losing weight. He was not eating. He was now using a walker. And it's interesting, his wife was honestly getting burned out because he would uh, just not listen, not do. And part of that, I think, was the dementia itself. So there's an example of, number one, somebody who should know better. Right. But, you know, we have what's called the human condition. Even if we know we should do something, we don't always do it. Right. And so I got him back on all these medications, and he was back in the normal range. This is very, you know, this is clearly a dramatic example, but a very uh, clear example highlighting how nutrition can adversely affect you much more so than just the disease itself, just the Parkinson's right. itself. Right. And maybe your Parkinson's get worse or your cognition gets worse. Um, uh, so, you know, it's interesting that we check vitamins, these nutritional vitamins routinely right. in, our, in our patients. And uh, I was a little surprised a few days ago when we met this professor visiting from California uh, who said he does not check vitamins on his patients uh, at all unless he see a clinical sign of a deficiency which we know are so vague and so hard to pick and um, and uh, we find on routine screening very often vitamin deficiency so it makes me wonder you know I have a couple of questions one what makes you convinced that it's a good practice clinical practice to check these vitamins uh, you know, it's not a guideline or recommendation from anywhere. And two, how often do you find these vitamin deficiencies? And did, did that made you be more convinced that you should do it more often? That's a really good question. It goes back to a patient that we have discussed before that had a short gut syndrome. Uh -huh. And she was labeled a spinocerebellar degeneration. I couldn't figure out which one. I studied them. I That's way back we're talking way about. Way back. This when is you were my a resident. resident. Your first yes. year of neurology resident. And everybody told me she, there was nothing wrong. It was clear. And I said, there's nobody in the family that has this. A lot of these are familial. And I said, I've even... So we worked with... I just decided to do a, a lot of studies. She was deficient because of no small bowel that had to be taken out when she was an infant that she couldn't absorb any fat-soluble vitamins. So, and she was also, her B12 was normal, but her vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E, and vitamin K were all the fat-soluble vitamins. So this was the first adult case, and she developed a problem like during her high school graduation, and she then, I saw her in her 30s, and we solved these problems, and her visual acuity got better, her vision, um, she had uh, a narrow field of vision, and we showed that it did expand with treatment, which is 
So that was very so, so very early on. Very you early on. got an evidence that vitamins are important and nutrition plays a big role in neurological disorder. Right. right. With Parkinson's, when did you start getting that similar hunch or ideas that vitamins I think are I have been having a high index of suspicion for this. When somebody comes in with a neuropathy, and you know me, I check neuropathy on everybody, and when somebody has more difficulty with gait or has a fall, I check them again. And if there's any doubt, I have an EMG done, we identify what the cause is and solve it. So a lot of times it's things like diabetes uh, that can cause a neuropathy. But if we don't manage the diabetes and the patient also has Parkinson's disease, they're going to fall, they're going to break a hip, they're going to be bedridden, their quality of life is going to go down. The so same. now when you do routine vitamin levels, B1, right. B12, yeah. D, how often do you find them low without any clinical evidence? You know, of that's part of the reason we're doing the study because I remember the ones that are really, really low and that I feel um, so glad that we checked because we probably prevented major If you have to make a guess here, 5%, 10%? I'm thinking it's 20%. more like 10% and in, like, uh, in my reading, you, you wonder there are people that are now saying there is a connection with B12 deficiency. Some people say vitamin D. Of course, we get a lot of vitamin D from the sun, and where we are, the sun is low a lot of the year, and we don't go outside because we can get cancer. We can get melanoma from being out in the sun with Parkinson's. So we have to get the right amount. So I would say about 10%, if we include iron deficiency, I have found people with severe iron deficiency, and it's good to pick that up, also because sometimes there's a very early uh, GI kind of neoplasm that if it's small, just starting, you can get all of it into the bucket, as we say, by an operation or even a biopsy on a colonoscopy. Well, just to complete the list, the other one that I often do and I think we both do in balance problem is zinc level. And I actually right. find a lot of zinc deficiencies, yes. which, which is not supposed to be very common, but. Uh, surprisingly, in our patient population, they are. And um, so, I want to circle back where we started. Where are we now with the Howard Food Questionnaire and Nutritional Study in Parkinson's? Uh, and how many patients you have? How many, what kind of data you have? And what are your next steps with the study? Well, I have reviewed the most remarkable cases, and we're be beginning to write case reports now there are three or four such patients that are illustrative of why we need to check. Um, we now have, with the Harvard Food Questionnaire, I believe about 150 people that have volunteered to be in the study. Okay. And what they do is they take a one-time questionnaire, we analyze their vitamins and nutrition, uh -huh. and we correct it. We, as you know, in our comprehensive clinic, we have occupational and physical therapy, speech therapy, and swallowing at the same time. We have a nutritionist, we have a social worker. Um, we do the whole thing. And a nurse and case manager. Nurse case manager, which is, she's the point person right. of our whole system. So, so you're we have doing it for? Uh, we're, we're gonna go to 200, uh, and we've already had one of the master's students that our nutritionist is working with uh, collect the early samples. 
But I don't think we have all the results of the food questionnaires yet. Okay. I think they're doing those. The food questionnaires would be analyzed, and then we will correlate it with the Parkinson's disease in terms yes. of severity and, right. and presentation. Right. Because uh, I think we're going to find that they go for the salty and the sweet foods, and not the nutritious foods. I see. But that's why we do a study because it's a hunch until we prove it. Wonderful. That that was great. I